You're listening to Grassroots Music UK, www.innovationstudios.com. I'm Marcus. Here's another episode of the first step, discovering music or discovering the arts, really. doesn't always have to be music. Now, before I start flanneling on about anything else, I want to admit that uh, last week I did have a bit of a quiet week um, because it was half term and the kids were off. And look, I can't always be here. I know you're desperate to hear my voice every single day, but sometimes I can't be around. So I'm really, really sorry. And I know you're actually not that desperate. Now, I have a real good friend of mine today. And we go back probably about three or four years now. But I knew of him before that from uh, the open mic scene. Um, And as a absolute connoisseur and knowledge, walking library on music from the Deep South, I can't believe that it took him so long to actually write something of his own. So why did it take you so long? My guest today is Arthur Nola. How are you, mate? You okay? I'm grand. I'm grand. Good. Good. Now, yeah. we've got notes in front of us Avoided from stuff. the plague like the plague. You did, you did, <laughs> yes. Now, we've got notes in front of us from stuff we've been working on this morning. Yes. And uh, yeah. working toward... Now, we made an album together. Did we just get a quick shameless plug in there? Go for it. Uh, the Men of Earth, Black Cat on the Line. That was released on the 4th of July, 2021, wasn't it? 2021. Yeah, yep. that's, so that's out there. And Arthur's been um, back on the open mic scene promoting it, whilst I've sat at home pretty much watching the royalties mount up without doing anything at all. Oh, royalties. Now he tells yeah, me. Yeah, well, <laughs> the royalties at the moment are just about going to cover a cup of coffee when we finish <laughs> off. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I've got to ask you, what took you so long to actually play something else? Or did you try years ago and it, did, it wasn't something that happened? To start with, um, it wasn't really something that even occurred to me um, that was possible. Um, And I spent 30 years playing bass in bands and doing not an awful lot else. And then about 10 or 12 years ago, um, the wife said, "Um, get that guitar out again. So, okay, so I did. And then she said, you keep playing the same old song. Can't you play anything else? (laughs) So, okay, fine, I better take this seriously. So I started to really get to grips with the with the guitar. And I did a um a, a songwriting weekend with a guy called Boo Hewardine. Um and he went through a lot of the technicalities and so on. And we did exercises where we did songwriting with pairs of us. That seemed to go okay. And then we did an exercise where we had to do uh, write a song on our own. And the whole thing, from my head, the wheels just came off. And I just thought, no, I, I, I can't do this. And I kind of put it in a box and put it to one side. Um, and that would have been about six or seven years ago. And just thought, yeah, I'll concentrate on interpreting other people's songs, which is a lot of what I've been hmm. doing, um, particularly traditional American songs, as you said, to, to start yeah. um, and And then it came to the point where come on, guys, let's make an album together. And it was originally going to be an album of those covers. That's right. And I thought, hmm. And then you said, well, you should write a song. And I'm going, oh, God, no, not again. <laughs> um, and he said, I, I explained, oh, really not this. And you said, write, some, write about something you know. Okay, fine. So I've had a bit of life experience on both sides of the track. So I just sat down and all of a sudden, like seven songs, well, 12 songs, I chucked five away. Seven songs came out and that's the basis of Black Hat on the Line. 
And the first um, song was Frank Stokes Blues. If first I song, rightly. it was indeed um, Frank Stokes Blues. So you said write about something you know. One of my guitar heroes is a guy called Frank Stokes. Um, seems to be lost to history now, but he was um, known as the the father of Memphis blues, and he was in a band uh, with a guy called Dan Sane. Um, the band was called the Memphis Shakes, but he also recorded on his own. But he never made it professionally. He was always um, a blacksmith or something like that worked with his hands um but he had a real a real voice and a real talent for guitar um so that was frank that was frank stokes and i just imagined the memphis he died in 1955 so i just imagined memphis in the 40s and 50s when he was busking on street corners and making a living out of it and mm. that's where that one came from i remember really. i got a message i got a message from you about half past 10 at night i've only gone and written a song you said I've only gone and written one. So I said, have you? Yeah, I've got this idea for something and I've gone and written a song. So I said, right, great. Come and see me soon. Like, book something in. Yeah. And then you come with this song, like uh, the cat that got the cream. Well, I'd never done it magic, before. Well, you said the magic words and you went, I've got this song and I've got another one that I've just started. And I thought, right, that's it. It's going to start. It's going to snowball yeah. from there now. Yeah, now it's all your fault. It's all, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not taking the blame for uh, it. It was always there. I just lit the fuse. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's I think this is I've come to think over the last couple of years that this is probably something that everybody can do. It's a matter of finding that thing within you. Mm. And now I find that sometimes I sit down like the one we were going through earlier. I sat down and that came within 20 minutes yesterday from the mm. bones of something else. Um, and there are other ones Um like Friedman Vines one that we've yeah. been been doing. Yeah. I've hacked away and it's on version five now and I've hacked away and sometimes it's a hopeless cause and then sometimes you go three o'clock in the morning, you go ping. Mm. Um, yeah, can't stand it. <laughs> I think any of the arts, right, if if it's, um, whether it's painting or reading, if you, if you studied it for years and painted somebody else's paintings, in the end, you know how everything works, but then it's up to you to create something that you've... So, what do you think the block? Where do you think the block might have been between? That's for a good question. Um, I'll I ask some good ones. Oh yes, I do. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me think now. Um, in terms of what you're saying about the technicality of it, because I've played music for a long time and I yeah. sit and listen to music, and and I've really concentrated on this since I've been writing is how songs are structured how a middle eight fits where it should fit how, uh, what drum patterns look like um, how the bass interlocks with the drums and so on these are things that that a lot of working musicians kind of take into their it becomes automatic for them mm. um, and I'm still exploring some of those things and bringing in other music and, and but the the the, the block the block was that horrible blank sheet of paper. Don't ever put me in front of a blank sheet of paper and expect something to come out the other side, because mm. um, I, I, I now know <laughs> that's not that's not mm. how it works for me. They can't force it. You, no, you have to. no, exactly. You yeah. you can't force it. There are people like Richard Thompson will say, right, I'm going to have a songwriting exercise. It's nine o'clock in the morning. I've just had my breakfast. I've got my cup of tea going. I am now going to concentrate on writing songs. Mm. And to a certain extent, I think you have to have that discipline. Mm. Otherwise, you'd, you'd sit around and you'd fiddle around and you would never get anything done. And I think you have to be have that discipline and be a finisher. Definitely. But at the same time, you have to have the, the, the knowledge that if you sit there and it's a blank sheet of paper and nothing comes, 
get up, walk away, go and do something else. Go and play golf, mm. ride your bike, whatever, yeah. you know, bake a cake. Um, and at some point, that little seed will filter its way through the mess we call the brain. And mm. eventually something will, will, will come out. And in my case, it's quite often something that's completely different to what I thought I was going to start with. Yeah. But I'll roll with it. That's because it comes from somewhere else, in my opinion. It's always sort of, although it comes from within you. Yeah. The initial ideas, what I've always said, said to you and everybody else I work with, you live music, you don't learn it. If you've always got a guitar to hand, then as soon as you get a snippet of an idea, you're able to do something with it there and then. Yeah, if you think, absolutely. oh, I'll go and sit in the studio and wait for it to happen. Doesn't music happen. doesn't work like that. You, you know as well as I do. Somebody says to you, Arthur, here's a CD, you'll love it. Chances are you won't. And then later on, it will be in the background somewhere and you say, oh, this is great. What's this? And they say, it's that CD I gave you. But because you're forcing yourself to listen to it, or in our case, forcing ourselves to write something, we can't find the fuse. Absolutely. It's weird, isn't it? it it's, it's very strange. And sometimes these things come from just out of nowhere. Um, a few, few weeks ago, I was sitting in um, a cafe in Leeds, in the old part of Leeds, okay. um, having a spot of lunch with the wife. And um, we, we've been up, she'd been up on a pottery course. So we're talking about, you know, how is your pottery and, and all of this sort of thing and, and, and so on. And Kurt Vile came on in the background. And it was like, all of a sudden, the conversation with the wife ceased to be the most important thing, suddenly locked in to this bass, drums and swirly guitar. And I'm thinking, oh. Never marry a musician, ladies. Because if, if you think that what you have to say is important, <laughs> yeah. it's never as important as a song that's playing in a restaurant, I promise you. That. You've yeah. admitted that. You can't go back on that. I can't, no, Chris, no, we're no. really sorry. We love you, but we... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. But you, but My life do, is going to be hell now, you, isn't you, it? You, you've got to be sorry now. You thought it was going to be a bit of fun, but it's put you back six months. Uh, but it is like that, isn't it? You, you suddenly tune yeah. into something and it gets the adrenaline sort of pumping or the creative juices flowing, they say, doesn't it? It's... Yeah, it, it, it does. And listening to that particular song, hmm. um, I can't put my hand on what it was in that song that's brought something out in a song that I've written and I can't identify a song. But somehow up in the inner recesses of the subconscious, hmm. I know that there's a little bit of Kurt Vile that's come out in... Pardon me, in something else that I've written yeah. since. Yeah, all the influences are there, though. Everything's there. Yes. So it's like. They're just subconscious, I guess. Yeah, I always. I sort of liken it to having kids or having a baby. You, you sort of have this idea and then you let it grow on its own for a while and let it make its own mistakes and you sort of bring it back in. And, the, and, and between two different people, you've got these different genetic things. There, in our case, musicians. It's genetic. We've got. I've got the Beatles, and and that, when we made our album, there's two tracks on there where you say, "Yeah, plenty of Gallagher in that," you know. Yeah. But but I tried as hard as I could to try and make it relevant to what we were doing. But unfortunately, the Britpop side of me comes through, and and so it's that. But but the two people together create that. So no other album in the world sounds like that because you don't have that mixture of your knowledge. Yeah, very much so. It, yeah, um, brutal sort of attack on the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's the that's the great thing. I mean, it, it, the, the the album somehow we managed to bring in two almost you would think irreconcilable yeah. um, musical sources, if you like. You're really into um, your, your Galhers and, yeah, and, yeah. and, and the Beatles and and, yeah. and 
it, it, it does nothing for me. No, I get that. But you bring that that um, influence and that expertise into something that I'm doing, which does very little for you. I'll admit that. But it's a learning process for me, as, as, as I'm sure it was for you. All like, music's music at the yeah. end of the day. And, yeah. and you wouldn't have had the stuff that you were playing and the style that you were playing in, because it's an, old, an older style, there wouldn't be any of this today without that. Whereas I came along with a style that was already kind of... You know, that, that I'm later, I'm sort of 10, 15 years behind you. Yeah. So my style was based on the stuff that had come sort of along because of the stuff that you listened to. And we found a common ground in um, when we were talking about some of the songs you were playing, because you always play at your gigs. I know you didn't the other night, but you always play St. James Infirmary, right? I do. Yes. yes. And I I grew up listening to jazz, like some St. Orleans jazz, trad, traditional jazz. I don't like to say drad. Traditional jazz. And the two crossed over somewhere. Some of the songs you were playing, I said, "Hang on a minute, I know that one." Yes. Yeah. So there was a crossover point and there, for us. There, there was there. Well, there was for that particular song. There were several crossover points, I think, um, because you were coming in through Chad Trad Jazz, um, Skiffle, and to a certain extent, Rockabilly, and, yeah. and 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 that sort of thing. That's right. And I was coming from the jazz view of it more through. Um, the New Orleans type jazz, mm. um, and in particular, the thing that Hugh Laurie did um, with Alain Toussaint, for example, a magical guy. Really great. Um, yeah. Um, and and so that's that's kind of my deep south sensibilities, if you like, mm. coming into the other end. And bang, all of a sudden, it, it's like you've got this mesh of crossovers. Mm. Um, and that was really interesting. Yeah, um, we got it. We got it in the end. I think we. I think yeah. we got some success. Well, we, we, we talked about doing a second album. We started the, on the just second for the album. hell of it, you know, just for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But you, I mean, we we talked about doing a series. There is going to be a series called Roots and Roots, which takes you through that. Arthur and I are going to do it because this this gentleman is an encyclopedia on every song that he will tell you about it, and every song that the story of every single song. And this was written by. What fascinates you about that? How do you? suddenly realise that this is more than something you just read about. I mean, you've been to these places, you've visited yeah. these places, you've you've just researched it, I've read done, about I've it. I've done gigs in the States yeah. at festivals, this sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. How does it become a passion? Has it always been there? Or is it was it suddenly you discovered this style of music or You want the honest truth? Yeah, go on. Yeah, okay. When I was a child I liked cowboys. Right. Nothing more complicated. Nothing more than, than that. Than than that. Wow. Um and so that was that was a fascination with the American West as a child, and I didn't go. And I, I, I always had that. Right. I used to play cowboys as a kid, um, but I didn't go to the states until I was in my thirties, I suppose. Okay. Um, and in the meantime, I'd I'd started playing in barn dance bands. Back in the seventies, this was started playing in barn dance bands. Now, Kaylee bands, as we would now mm -hmm. now know them. So this is this is English, Scots, Irish, and American fiddle tunes. Right. And okay, you're sitting there thumping away on the bass, and you're listening to the real musicians playing the tunes. <laughs> um, and they'll tell you, yeah, you're, you're you're doing a rehearsal, and you'll get talking about them, and you're real, you know, you, they'll tell you where um, Ragtime Annie came from. Um, and, and, and tunes like that and, and how often they've bounced across 
they've gone across with the with the settlers, mostly the Scots and the mm. Irish, um, and they've they've come back and they've gone forward and and they've changed. And St James Infirmary is 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 a case in point. Um, we think it's about New Orleans, but I've been to New Orleans twice and I've looked hard for St. James Infirmary and I've looked hard for St. James Parish and they don't exist in Louisiana. I went out to Bayou La Battery because mm. I thought that's where it might be and it wasn't. Um, turns out St. James Infirmary is actually what is now St. James Palace just off the Mall, and in Blimey. the 16th and 17th century it was a leprosy hospital. Ah. That's what it was about. But it's changed. It's it, it's evolved. It's, it's, yeah, it's stories. got it's got a new a new a, another song has come from the same mm. thing, and it just so there's that sort of fascination then developed from from the tunes, and then I started to learn about American old time music, um, and that came um, almost directly from an American guitar player called Eric Thompson, um, who I've. I've subsequently met on Zoom, um, had wow. conversations and, and, and lessons with him, um, permanently stoned. <laughs> um, um, and that I, I picked up Eric Thompson's album back in the very late 70s, I suppose, and it suddenly turned me on to what, what had developed over there as a result of us over here. And then I learnt about um, Appalachia, um, how... The music developed with with the influences coming in from all of these other places. Um, you've got the, the French Arcadians coming down from Canada. You've got stuff coming up from um, Senegal, um, Mozambique, places like that, Nigeria, um, with slave ships. You've got um, Calypso and so on coming from the Caribbean by way of. Um, and it just kind of got more and more fascinating. And the more I, I kind of delved into it, and then I really locked onto the, um, the old time stuff. And when I was a kid, you could you could never find this stuff, and the internet has changed everything. Um, and now you can find it. Um, you you can find it if you look for it, if you see what I mean. And it's a voyage of it's become a voyage of self discover of of discovery, not self discovery, because I didn't do any of it. <laughs> um, but it, it's 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 compounded in the depression era in the states. Mm. But it, it was it, it first sort of exploded. There was a big bang, and it started off with um, victrolas with record players coming in. So music was suddenly reproducible. Mm -hmm. um, and then when radio came in in the states, it didn't happen in the UK. But in the states. When radio came in, it stopped all these little regional blobs of music almost overnight, and it all became available everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where country music, blues as we know it, came from, jazz came from, um, um, all of these types of, of music. The, the, that, it was just an incredible crucible, and I just find it totally mm. fascinating. Yeah, I mean, we'll touch on this on the series. But I, I remember we had a conversation about how you said um, that the songs were, before obviously recordings and stuff like that, the songs were passed from town to town and they would change a little yes. bit. There used to be a game at school. I don't know what you, what you would call it now in these days of political correctness, but at school it was called Chinese Whispers, okay? 
and you would whisper something to the person next to you. And by the time it had gone round the room, it had changed drastically from what the original message was. So how much of that, because obviously the music is kind of like a, a snowball going through towns, going through cities. And from there, it's taking all of these influences. Like Liverpool had all of the Docker and people from all over the world. That's yeah. why they've got a, a different parts of language in their accent. Music would have done that, would have gone across and picked up. This is what, for my for my money, this is one of the defining factors of folk music mm. is that you, that if there is a song, you pick it up and you make it your own mm. and then somebody else picks up your version and tweaks it and makes it their own um, and, and, and so on. And there are literally hundreds of, of songs like that. There's a, there's a song called um, The White Cockade, um, which is from original, as far as I know, originally dates from um, Cromwell's time, the white cockade being okay. on your hat. Um, that song can be traced through um, various iterations and now come... And, and, and came out in the end as a song that I learned, which was a thing called The Cuckoo, which I learned by listening to Doc Watson and Clarence Ashley when they recorded it back in the 1960s. Mm. But largely it's the same song. And there are, um, I forget for the minute their names, I'd have to look them up, Jimmy... Anyway. Yeah. Um, they, they play an intermediate version, which is absolutely wonderful. I sit, sat and watched them at a live gig, absolutely spellbound, and suddenly realised that, that what they were playing was a song that I played that had changed over the years and mm. over the over the movement. And there's lots of songs like that. Well, that's the thing with folk music and that sort of music. Other than it, it kind of has, um, and I may be wrong, but it seems to me to be the only genre of music where they can't really trace it back to a songwriter. Everything sort of says traditional and I don't know whether that's still, but but it's but that, would that be the reason why they why it's moved from around? They can't really trace it back because well, know. it's part of it. It's this is this is this is part of the the, the enjoyment of it. This is one of the great unfathomables. Mm. Fathomables. <laughs> I can't even say it now. Yeah. This is yeah. Um, there are there are songs that go back long enough um, that you, nobody knows where they came from. Mm. Um, and if you take just tunes, if you look at O'Neill's Music of Ireland, for example, yeah. okay, it's a big compendium of traditional Irish fiddle tunes. Mm. But it was put together by a guy called O'Neill, who in the 1940s, I think the 40s, was actually the chief of police of Chicago police, mm. but had an interest. So... <laughs> You know, even what you think is ours isn't ours. Yeah. It's somebody else's as well. And and as you say, that's what defines, for me, that's what defines folk music. But but also, yeah, so the song is called Columbus Stockade Blues, okay. written in 1927 by um, Tom Darby and Jimmy Tarleton. And it's, it's a, quite a simple song. They wrote it, and the Columbus Stockade is now a national monument in Columbus, mm -hmm. Georgia. Um, they wrote the song um, and it got picked up by the bluegrasses and changed from minor key to a major key and from being a bit bluesy and sad 
because um, the guy's in, in, incarcerated. It's about a guy who's incarcerated. Mm. And he's saying to his 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 wife, girlfriend or whatever, um, look, I'm not going to get out of here. Go and have your own life. Leave me if you think you need to. Mm. Um, and so on. So it's, it's, it's a very sad song. Mm. Um, you play it in bluegrass and you play it in a major key. So it's, leave me if you really wish to. Um, and it's, until you listen to the words, it sounds quite jolly. Um, and then I learnt it. I learnt it in the major key, and I thought, no, this. I put it to one side. This just doesn't sound right. Yeah. Um, and then um, I was at a, a workshop with a guy called Brooks Williams, um, who reintroduced it in the minor key, but he made a modulation to, from A minor to G minor in the chorus. And I thought, oh yeah, that really sounds right. Okay, so I picked up what he'd done, and twisted it a little bit to suit me so even though we know who wrote the song and we can trace back from 1927 it's quite recent it's only what 95 years ago yeah um that song has gone already become part of the folk lexicon um and has had so many iterations that it sounds a completely different song depending upon who's you listen to but it's still identifiably that original song okay is it the most generous of genres in terms of people making songs their own and nobody really having as much of a problem with it? In these days of everybody, you put something on YouTube and you get the, don't use my song, don't do this. Is it the, the most generous? Like you said earlier that, that people kind of allow somebody else to make something of it and do something with it, or is it still well protected by the... Because they can't trace the original songwriters. Well, some people well yeah. Um, and the other thing, of course, that um, I'm not sure what the time limit is over here, but in the States, um, if you're take, claiming songwriters' royalties, you lose them after 50 years. I think it's similar over here. Uh, yeah. I think it's the same because Cliff, I saw an interview with Cliff Richard and he said he had to buy back all of his original writing. He'd written the songs. Yeah, exactly. And of course, which point people can do what they like without asking you. That's right, because yeah. you no longer own, own any rights to the song. Yeah. So I think there's an element of that, and I think also because in if you go in if you go over to the states uh, uh, in the bluegrass field, there are some really big stars, and to a to a different extent in the country music field. But if you stick more towards the traditional American folk music, old time music, that mm. sort of thing, um, it's not a rock star thing. And if somebody writes something and somebody says, do you mind if I cover that? Oh, man, you've made my day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think there's much more of much more of that. It's, it's, yeah, look, this song needs to breathe. It needs to go out there. Okay, I wrote it, but it's not my song. Um, but people aren't making the sort of money that... Um, Tupac Shakur or, yeah, or, yeah. or these big rappers or, or the Stones mm. or whoever are making out of songs. It, 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 it isn't like that. It still operates in the same way in as much as word of mouth, whereas, you know, these days someone will tell you that the new album coming out is great. But that genre, that style, seems still seems to be, yeah, take songs, still preaching the, the word. People are still out there playing the songs and then you go and buy it. It's, you know, yes, because it's yes, not they're, they're, widely advertised on TV and stuff like that. It's a niche within a niche. Yeah. Um, and people do it because because they li like me, because they like the music. Mm. Um, there's very, very few people 
certainly in the UK that I can think of, who can actually make a full-time living out of it. Mm. Um, my mate Joe's one of them. Um, he's an excellent musician, yeah, and Joe, he's yeah. he's in a he's in a very lucky position from that point of view. Mm. But there are, I've played with him on stages. And he, the, the other people amongst us have all been plumbers, bricklayers, accountants, yeah. that sort of thing, yeah. um, and doing it. And that's that's really where it is. It, it, it isn't in uh, big productions and stage touring and that sort of Not thing. Not divas. There's no divas, really, is there? There's no. There's a few. Sure they get few. smacked down pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> they don't last very long. No. <laughs> so how important is it that the song has a story behind it for you? Because when we wrote the album together, yes, your stuff was about genuine people, and my stuff was about people who I imagined would be a certain way. Because I don't, I haven't researched it. So how important is it to have a story? Um, right. First of all, when we started off, you said write about something you know. Yes. So those people and those places and so on were things that I knew, mm. um, but. As part of, of, of making the song, I think it's important when you're constructing the arc of a song, if you like, that you have an, an opening statement of some description and then you have some narrative that takes you to the close of the song. Um, and for me, that narrative is the story. Mm. And without it, I really don't have a hook to hang it on. Right. For me. So I, I have to have... The story that the songs we've been looking at this morning all started out as as stories to a certain extent. Now, as I'm getting more used to writing songs, they're becoming less ballad-like narratives. Mm. So we take Homeless, for example, yeah. um, which will be on the new album. Plug, new plug, album, plug. Yeah. Um, it, it started off as one thing, as one story, um, and then. The more I thought about it, it kind of narrowed itself down to a part of that story and looking at an individual and how that individual felt, mm. um, being homeless and raining his socks and, and all of this sort of stuff. You yeah. know, I only need an even break. Um, so the story then is in his head, but it's still a story. Yeah. And it's still an arc of narrative upon which to hang the song. And I can't write songs without that. I know you can. And yeah. I look at it and I think, where the fucking hell did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably the pills I'm taking, to be fair. So, of the songs that you've, that you've written, what do you think is the best... I'm going to say the best story, because they're all genuine, but what do you think is the most meaning, meaningful to you of the songs you've written? And also, to double-ended question, what do you think is, of all the songs that you've played over the years, is the best or has the best story behind it or the most meaningful story behind it oh my giddy aunt yeah yeah it's a tough one uh, yes because i know you, some of you the know, subjects you've left me between a I rock have. and a hard place I have, these yeah. are my babies i can't have favorites well you've, t you've talked to me before <laughs> about the the last wheel of joe hill joe, the last wheel of joe hill oh yeah and you talked to That's me about really um, heavy stuff oh Shot his Delia. What's that song? The, 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 yes, Delia. Yeah, Delia. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's another Delia's song. Gone. That's yeah. That's a brilliant song. That's another song that's got so many different variations of it. But as as far as we can tell, mm. is rooted in a particular incident that happened in mm. Philadelphia, Maryland, 
borders somewhere. somewhere. Yep. Um, whereas a guy, uh, name changed, he's, in my version he's called Tony. Um, that wasn't his real name, but he was 14. He shot his girlfriend on Christmas Eve, um, expressed no remorse for it. Because he was 14, he was tried. This was in 1870 or 1880 something. Mm. Um, he, he, he was tried, sentenced to a short term in, in prison because, of course, he was white and Delia was black, um, apparently. Um, hadn't expressed no remorse whatsoever until he started getting haunted by her years later. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where that song comes from. And that's, yeah, so you raise it, that's that's a story. Mm. That's a story. Tony shot his Delia upon a Christmas night. Um, yeah, that's... It's, a, that, it's deep stuff. Yeah. It's deep stuff. I know, I know, it's, a, it's a tough question because it yeah. probably would change... From, You're bringing me back to the question, aren't you? I, well, I'm, you don't have to answer it because it's pretty much an unanswerable question because six months from now it would be something else. Yes. But I wondered I, I, if there was a particular song that as you're singing it, you have the narrative going through your head, you can see it happening. There's Yes, there's, there's two of mine, there's two in particular. Mm. Um, the first one is Lead Into the Lavender. Yeah, best song on the album, Lead Into the Lavender. Um, which I've played now quite a few times because we made the album without doing any gigs because nobody was doing any That's gigs. That's right. No. So, so the songs were all fresh. And since we've done it, some of them have, have, have settled down and become their own thing. And this is one of them. Mm. Um, and this is not, you, it only happens just through keep playing it. Yeah. Um, and that's about viruses over the, over the millennia from the point of view of the virus. Mm. Um, and that, that's gained some traction. Quite a few people have liked it. And I've even asked, been asked if people will cover it. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other one is um, about the Lincoln Highway. Started off about the Lincoln Highway, um, 60 Days of Dustin Road yep. and all the rest of it. It's, uh, the Digger Man. The Digger Man, yep. yes. Um, now, the title of the Digger Man came from my grandson, who we were sitting in the, in the lounge of their house in, in Basildon, and he's got his, his toys out. He's five and a half. He's got his toys out and the imagination is like boing, 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 going everywhere. And he's got this little digger and he's going, God, and I get the digger man, smash. And I thought, oh, yeah, got to do something with this. And I just, we'd just come back from um, four weeks in, in Pennsylvania and we'd driven the Lincoln Highway and been to a, a thing um, called the Lincoln Highway Experience, which is if you're that way, it's southeast of Pittsburgh. Um, in a place called Ligonier. Um, but if you're down that way, it's well worth going to. Well, the, the Lincoln Highway predates Route 66 by about 40 years. Um, and there's lots of stories. It was dirt road, brick paved, all of this sort of thing. And it went from New York to San Francisco. First road to do it. Mm. Um, and like that got the imagination. So com two completely unrelated things. Yeah. Um, and then we had a third thing. We had the, the incident with poor Harry Dunn and yes. Anne Sekoulis, yep. which is still rumbling on, and he really needs some justice, that guy. Mm. Um, and, hey, up, three o'clock in the morning, bolt upright, 
right, this is what we're going to do. So it starts off with um, the who is the digger man? Well, for some people, the digger man is that ogre, that bogeyman that's going to come and get you. For some people, um, the digger man is someone who's going to get you out of trouble. Um, and that's where that song came from. That's So there's, there's intertwining threads and a story to that song. Um, and that's one lyrically I'm quite proud of. I quite like that. So, Are you lyrics first? Um, or you, do you... Egg. Around? Definitely egg. <laughs> Definitely egg. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't know. I've got... I've got samples of lyrics that I put down on this little Zoom thing we were playing yeah. with earlier, Zoom H2. Um, I've got samples of lyrics and I've got samples of music and quite often near the twain shall meet. Mm. Um, and sometimes I'll play, I'll have some lyrics and I'll put a, a tune to it, a, a chord structure. Being a guitar player, mm. chord structure is kind of where music starts for me, keys and chord structure. Um, and then sometimes... I'll, I'll get it together and I'll look at the words and I'll think, well, this chord structure and this melody don't so this tune, these these words. Um, so it really is for me. It really is chicken and chicken and egg. And mm. I'll take which I'll take whichever. You know, if 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 the inspiration is there and the chicken comes across the road first, um, then man, I'll take the chicken. Mm. Um, but if if the egg's sitting there looking at me and saying, I need a chicken to go with, um, do that as well. Yeah. Is part of the challenge being able to express it lyrically without being clever? So you don't have to offend anybody or because a couple of songs on the album, let's let's say the ballad of Emmett Till. Now that's a very, very um let's say it walks a fine line in terms of people's opinions. Especially least, in the South. Yeah, yes. especially there. So yeah. how do you get around kind of writing it? I think you have to be honest to your own opinion. Right. Um, and when it comes to, I mean, Emmett Till was famously lynched in 1955, 54, 56, I think it was. Yeah. Um, famously, famously lynched. Very horrible way of doing mm. it. Um, and for, just for those of you who, who don't know, um, he was thrown into the Tallahatchie River in a town called Money um, in western part of the Mississippi Delta. Um, when they finally recovered the body, his mother insisted that they have an open funeral. And he came from Chicago. He was on holiday with his mm. uncle and aunt. Yeah. His mother insisted that they have an open um, cask funeral so people could see what they'd done to him. And um, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here. No, that's I? fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, that's fine. But, but that's, the, that's the story. That's fact. That, that's absolute fact. It's, it's written. You can Wikipedia it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that incident. Oh, by the way, there was a trial. They were all found not guilty. Um, three years later, they started to spill the beans. And the woman who was at the center of it, who started the whole thing off 20 years later in, in the 1970s, she admitted that she'd made the whole thing up. Mm. You know, how do these people live with themselves? So yeah. you can't not have an opinion about that. Mm. Um, especially as a lily-livered white person from the south of England, um, <laughs> when you hear this sort of thing, you just think, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Did people do this 50 years ago? Well, yes, they did. Yes, they did yeah. um, so <sighs> it's not really an opinion. It's the story, isn't it? it You're not really it's giving the, an opinion as such. You're, I think it was my opinion that made me want to write it. Yeah, yeah. My outrage at the, you know, having discovered this. Yeah. Um, 
that made me want to write it in in the first place. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, we're in a very privileged position here. We can sit here. We're what forty miles from London. Yeah. Um, and we have we have the freedom to have those opinions, and it was my opinion mm. about it that made it. And the same with the Digger Man, mm. my opinion about Anne you know, outrage. Um, well, so, the, and that, that's that's what that's what drives it. And if I think if you don't have an opinion, you don't have you don't have the heart to put into a song. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. And there are there are people who say, "Oh well, you're only musicians. You come along, you're going to come and entertain us. You play your music, and you go shut up and go away." Mm. Um, I'm sorry, life doesn't work like that. No, no it doesn't. Um, we we have um, trying to think how to put it. We have a we, we walk a very fine line from giving our opinion and then being at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. So we kind of, as songwriters, we have to give an opinion that everybody in the room can kind of sort of go, "I can see where he's coming from." Rather than saying that this is wrong, that's wrong, this is terrible, you kind of take um, you have your own opinion, but we're not politicians, and we we don't want to divide the room. So it's being clever, writing a song factually. The only reason I ask you this is because a lot of the songs are based on factual stuff and yes. always were in that genre. Absolutely. So if, if people yes. take offence to it, they can Google it and say, "Look, this is it's what, what happened. actually happened." Yeah. We, it, so it's an opinion, but it's really uh, we're outraged by how it happened i but think who yes. isn't really I, I i think and this is yes you're right this is part of the challenge i don't see it as being particularly clever but i think part of the challenge is it's it, it's a bit like being a salesman um what you don't want to do is tell sell um, you don't want to tell people that this happened. You want to give them the circumstances yeah. and the surrounding information and hopefully allow them to draw their own conclusions about what you're talking about mm. rather than say, well, he killed so-and-so. Well, you could say um, he was killed, wasn't it unfortunate? How did it happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I know. It's... So it, it, it's being a little more circumspect about it. And that's one of the... Yeah. Well, you get to version six or seven of a song before you start to get satisfied about the way that it's been. Mm. And some of the great songwriters have done exactly that. Um, Guy Clark, for example. Um, um, Ray Wiley Hubbard. Um, uh, Rodney Kroll. Mm. You played me some Rodney earlier. I did, yes. yes. Mm. It's just magnificent Is he stuff. one of your favourites at the moment? He's been one of my favourites for a long time. Yeah. Um, I had never heard of him really. Mm. Um, I knew about him because I knew that he was married to Roseanne Cash, who was Johnny Cash's daughter. Mm. I'd never really heard much about what he'd done and sort of hadn't really investigated it until um, the wife and I went to see the Flatlanders at the Barbican some years ago. Now, the Flatlanders are a supergroup. Joe Ely, lead guitar and singing um, and all this sort of thing. And that's what we went to see, expecting a big show. Rodney Kroll got up solo on stage as a support act. And in my way of thinking, it just completely blew them off the stage. And at that point, it was like, oh, I'm hooked. Mm. You know, I've got John Prime was an, is another example. You know, John Hyatt. Um, this is, there is a lot of 60s, 70s and 80s Texas songwriter group and they seem to have mastered Towns Van Zandt they seem to have mastered 
the telling the story without ramming it down your face, yeah. but making it pa- And I think the music then makes it compatible. Uh, uh, not compatible. Um, what's the word? Uh, palatable. Right. It's the music that then makes it, it palatable. You can hide. You can hide things in there. I yeah. Think. You, you, yeah. I, I can get. I can get that. I understand that. Because you open my eyes to a lot of artists when you do this job for a crazy, crazy job for a living as I do. It's so easy to get set in your ways because Saturday night you're trying to earn your money. So it's the Rolling Stones, it's the Who, it's the Beatles, it's the you know Buddy yeah. Holly, it's all that sort of stuff. And then what happens with that is that becomes pretty much a diet of stuff you listen to during the week. And uh, and then for me it was Britpop and stuff like that. But then you come along and you're saying, hey, look, have this album, Doug Paisley. Oh, yeah. Uh, drinking with a, th- a friend. Drinking with a friend. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant um, I listened to that album the other week, actually, in its entirety, because I'd only listened... There's, there's three tracks on there that I... I and do you know what? I can't... Drinking with a friend is one of them. Easy um, Money. Yeah, no, there's, an, there's another one. one. There's another one. But Yeah. And I really loved it. But, but, but the thing is, I'm about guitars. Stuff crosses over for me. So a nice strummed acoustic guitar... Yeah. ...doesn't matter what the genre is, it's... And it's only two genres anyway, good and bad. Yeah. And it depends I, on you, doesn't it? Yes. Having not been a professional musician in, and, and, and had to do what you do, in mm. other words, you know, somebody comes up, play this song for me. Yeah. Um, you know, not quite play Misty for me, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you don't get the choice of what you play. No. For a lot of the time. No, we don't. We don't no. Um, you can be a free spirit with your open mind. I can and, do exactly what I want and what I like. Mm. And if somebody comes along to me, I've got the freedom of mm. saying, no, I don't want to play that one. I'm yeah. going to go and play something else that I like. Um, and that's a double-edged sword because musically, I cannot play what I don't like. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't got the discipline and the theory and the practice to back that up for somebody to say... Um, I get that. I get go and that. play. Go and play Brown Sugar, and I go. Um, um, mm. And you'll go Brown Sugar. Yeah, play it once. Yeah, okay, fine, right, and then we can work it out, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't have that for whatever reason. Mm. Um, so I'm very lucky in that I can just play what I want to play. <laughs> Hence, being able to tell you about all these wonderful songwriters that I like. Yeah. Hence, being able to say what the songs come from because that's the bit that interests me and i've never had to do it to make a living no i mean i've made <laughs> i've made pocket really good pocket change out of it over yeah. the years um you know hundreds of pounds for a gig but i might not do another gig for two weeks and now i don't make anything out of it because i don't need to why would i bother no and you take more out of it because it's about your your music i mean you sent me a Open mic the other night that you'd done, and oh, all yes. your own stuff. And thanks, thanks to Mando for that one. Yeah. Uh, and the Woodcutter's Arms on a that was it Thursday yeah. night. Yes, and it was all your own stuff. Yeah, so it's a first. That, that that must that feels good, doesn't it? It's yes, it's it's a different feeling, and something really strange happened. And I played a couple of those songs at my own open mic, and the same thing happened. And it's not really happened. You 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 play a set. And okay, you do a nice song and it's a bit twiddly and you've got the song down and you know how you do it and bang, you go out and play it. And if it's somebody else's, other people might say, well, yeah, okay, that came across quite nicely. Um, But if it's your own song, 
And this was the first occasion that I'd done a complete open mic set of my own songs. Mm. Um, and afterwards, somebody came up and said, oh, I like that song. Did you write it? Yeah. And then at my own open mic, shameless plug, every other Monday at the Anchor in Canudan, yeah. um, I played the same song and I was talking with one of the singers who was coming to sing at my open mic and we, we were checking and she said um, I really like that song that you played who wrote it and it's like oh god well it was me ah uh, oh, really like and then then all of a sudden you know the ego I had to go off and, and, and have another drink because the ego is danger of taking over at that yeah, point but, but it's it's a, it's a whole different thing doing your mm. own songs yeah very much so yeah and you're not precious about them either if somebody says can I have a go or can I sing it or can I, you know, you don't talk, no, hang on a minute, it's mine. It's, the, yeah, well, the, the, Lean it. Into the Lavender, the first time I played Lean Into the Lavender in public, outside of what we'd done when we yep. were writing it and recording it, the first time was at Naseby Bluegrass Festival when there was a band competition. So there was myself on guitar and vocals, Joe Hymas on mandolin, Jolene Missing on bass and Richard Partridge on fiddle. Mm. And we had the... Friday afternoon and and getting everybody's got their own bands and they're all doing other stuff so getting together to to play it and these guys were just Richard particularly and and, and Joe are just superb musicians um, and we got up and played it um, as part of the band competition and with with other musicians who are used to playing in bands and used to playing live behind me it started to swing and all of a sudden I thought yeah actually hey guys here we are, you know. Um, we didn't win the competition, but no. in my mind, we did because it brought that song to life. Yeah, it did. You sent me it. Yes. Um, yeah, you sent yeah. me it. And it, we it had, was... Chris had trouble with the video recorder, which was a bit of an issue, yeah, but the but sound it still like came that. across. Yeah, to yeah. hear it with, with other musicians on it, because we we said, yeah, one guitar, one vocal, get it a bit, bit you know, sinister, if you like, get, get it quite dark. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, to hear it like that with other musicians on it. And you get that respect from your peers as well. Like they want to play. Hopefully. They want to play on that because they like it. Yes. You know, they're not doing you a favour. They don't have to. Joe doesn't have to do it. They don't of have course to, he doesn't. You know, no, he's the one person who doesn't have to no, do we'll it. We'll do it, yeah. you know, because that's how it works. And the ideas are bounced around. Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what I was always hoping is that we'd work together and, and you perform the songs and... And because of that, people might say, oh, you know, I liked how that album came out and I might like to do something. And so now we're back able to do open mics again and able to meet up again or people. Not that I do. My Mondays are, my Mondays are precious to me, mate. I <laughs> Got far more important things to do. On. I'll put the darts on. <laughs> um, but uh, it's something that I want to I want to explore a little more because I, I've knocked the Saturdays. Uh, I'm not doing so many Fridays and Saturdays yeah. now. I'm spending more time with family and I'm thinking... Now I want to take my ideas out there and do just do something now and again. And if you get an idea for a song, maybe on week one, maybe by about week two it's ready to perform, and then you perform it for six or seven weeks, then it's ready to be worked on. For, yes. Because you've got that instant reaction from the audience every it, single time. And you, you can get a feel then for what works and what doesn't when you're playing it. And, mm. and it, uh, live, it's, it's instant. It's visceral sort of feel whereas when we were in the studio sometimes we was we would do something and we would sit and question whether or not actually that fits the best way whether there's a way we could Im no, totally could Im could improve it and it was a fantastic learning experience for me 
Um, but it has it has taught me the value of, of tramping a song out live. We did it the other way around. Yeah, we because we had to. We had to, yeah. to to do it that way, and I think only now are you realising how good those songs were. Now they're out in the public, yes. and you're getting that feedback. Whereas the other way around, you get the feedback from people, and then you suddenly say, "Okay, we'll make the album now because we've been playing these songs for ten weeks, and we know how they sound." So we kind yeah. of did it backwards. We had to do it that way. So I think now the album is kind of breathing on its own anyway in terms of people listening to it and yeah, giving um, you that instant reaction that we didn't have at the start. It's strange, isn't it? it? Yes. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not how I expected things to turn out. And to be quite honest with you, two, two and a half years ago, when did we write the verse songs? Frank Stokes Blues. A couple of years. To, yeah, about the time of, the first of the pandemic was breaking out, really, wasn't it? it is, yeah, it wasn't far be, much before that, actually. Yeah, yeah. around probably towards the end of 19, uh, towards the end of 19. Yeah, it was about that time. We had a, a couple of ideas. Yeah. And um, thinking back to then, the, 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 the musical journey from that point to, well, you're going to write a song, just write about what you know, mm. to we're now starting to write songs for a second album, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and you can't write about the same thing twice. So some, you know, you've got to grow. And that journey, that two-year journey is incredible. Yeah. You know, I am not the same musician that I was two years ago. Mm. Um what I've learned has gone right on top of what I had before. Mm. Um, but I also think that it's something that anybody can... It's in everybody. You've got to just find some way of bringing it out to start with. And in my case, it was it was you looking down the lens at me going, well, write about what you know then. And I keep saying <laughs> this. Um, but uh, It sounds a bit like me. Yeah, I'm sorry, Marcus, but that was the catalyst. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what opened the floodgates. That's what sort of made me realise that I can do it. And it's also helped me realise that there's ways that I was trying to do it that actually don't work for me at all. So... Okay. We're going to wrap it up for this week. We're going to be back next week for the second half of this interview with the legendary Arthur Nola. <laughs> He's a legend in his own lunchtime. Legend, right? definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll be back next week for the second half of this interview. Thank you for listening in. www.innovationstudios.com We'll see you next Monday. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>